Last week, Pastor Kai kicked off the book of Ecclesiastes for us, thereby also kicking off a season of meaninglessness, a season of vanity, a season of grasping for the air and chasing the wind. So if this is your first Sunday, welcome. Uh, among our staff this week, we've had the recurring line. We're, we're working on a lot of details for ministry and a lot of things that are coming up and transitions and all that. And then there's a lull in the conversation. Someone will just say, it, it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. It's all meaningless anyway. So it's an encouraging thing. It's, the book of Ecclesiastes has a vibe about it that is very, very different. And this sermon series is different because the book of Ecclesiastes is different. And within the first few verses, we find ourselves uncomfortable. I know I do. Just within the first, it grasps you quickly. Within the first few verses, all is vanity. No one will remember you. No one will remember what is. No one will remember what will be. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just a cycle with a different flavor each time. All the rivers run into the ocean, yet the ocean isn't more substantial. That's life. Where's the meaning? Where's the things that are substantial? Where's the things with staying power? We find that there's so much to observe, but nothing to really comprehend. So much to look at, but nothing to really wrap our heads around. We just kind of keep looking. We find ourselves waiting for the punchline waiting for the silver lining. We're eager for the but God moment, but it doesn't surface. At least it doesn't surface quickly. And I think that we naturally want to lighten the mood, like where's the funny part of Ecclesiastes? Where's the jokes? Where are those at? And I think we have a tendency with it becomes so uncomfortable so quickly, kind of like this moment right here, that we're looking for how to lighten the mood. However, by God's design, sometimes the mood doesn't need to be light. Here at Crosspoint, we preach verse by verse, and we believe that in preaching verse by verse, it allows God to set the agenda for our church. And if that is true, then God's agenda for this morning is to feel the weight of life. God's agenda for this morning is to feel the weight of trying to make sense of life. Last week, we learned that there's two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, one is the narrator and the other is the preacher, Kohelet. And uh, I'm probably saying that ter terribly wrong, but it's the preacher. That's what we'll say. And this morning, that's who we're hearing from. And what we hear in verse 12 is, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So what we have is this preacher inviting us into a journey of sorts. So he's already gone on the journey, but by way of story, he's sitting with us this morning saying, gather around, I've seen some stuff. And, he, and, he's, and he's inviting us into this journey. And what he's doing with us this morning is he's sharing the summary first, and then in the coming weeks, we'll see sort of the nuts and bolts and the details and the, the paths that, that the journey led him on, looking for deep meaning, but, but we're, we're kind of getting to the point of the summary this morning, and it's a journey of a wise king who's a man of God. It says he's the king over Israel in Jerusalem, so it's not some pagan king. It's, it's, a, it's a man of God who is a king with unlimited resources searching for something of substance, something with meaning, 
Most believe that this is Solomon, which makes a lot of sense. When, when you look at the book and you look at who it says is speaking, it's one who came after Solomon that's wiser than Solomon. But we don't have any historical evidence for someone who came after Solomon that's wiser than Solomon. So it's probably Solomon being so sneaky and wise that he's like, I'm going to create like another part of myself in a way to where he's using a different voice. So it, you can imagine someone who's really wise, who's imparted wisdom in a particular way, saying, how can I say these things but in a way it lands a little differently? That, that's likely what's going on here. To, this might be a heretical you know, illustration, but just, just ro- roll with it. Um, it's like Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines. <laughs> Garth Brooks, pop country artist, lots of number one hits. But then Chris Gaines is like the emo hair swoop album cover, right? It's the same guy, but different music. And that's kind of, I think, what we're seeing here. It's it's likely the same guy, but the music is definitely different. And Ecclesiastes hits differently as well. And the playing field is under heaven or under the sun. So what we have is this guy with these unlimited resources, tons of wisdom, tons of knowledge, saying, I'm going to find meaning. I'm going to find substance. And I'm not going to, like, I'll use all the resources necessary to find it. And he's, and he's expending all the effort to say, I want to find where the meaning is under the sun. And under the sun, it reminds me of the book of Acts where it says, like, each of us live where we live in the time that we live in the, with the neighbors that we have in the cities that we live in, and, and we're part of the organization, we're part because God has, has deemed it so. It's not an accident that you're here even this morning, even if you're thinking it might be because of the tone of the sermon. But, but, but the book of Acts says that God has this ordained thing where we live, and so it's what he's doing is saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take where I live and everything I can see, and I can, I'm going to use my, utilize my resources, and I, I want to find meaning. That is the goal. And I think that before we even begin the journey, we can draw a conclusion just from the fact that a journey like this exists. God intends for you to think deeply about difficult things. God intends for you to think deeply about difficult things. Do you enjoy thinking deeply about difficult things? Why are so many of us kind of against that? I think many of us spend more time escaping from reality rather than leaning into it because thinking about difficult things for a long time is hard. I think there's at least two reasons we can tap into. First, reality can be scary and overwhelming. Like if you really look at what's going on, if you watch the news, it's like here's all the bad things that happen and then they end it with a story about a puppy every single time. Because they don't want you to end on that low note, but they're trying to say what's happening. And like, here's reality, and there's a lot of rough things that, that can happen, and we get a recap of it on our phones and all that. But the reality is, as, as we consider reality, it, it is overwhelming, and it can be really scary. Some kids are starting school this week, and you you got your own version of that, where you're like, Man, I'm not sure what the day is going to hold. I'm not sure what the week is going to hold. And I think second is that reality can become even scarier because of what might happen or what might not happen. This is where our anxieties come from. There's no doubt that we have reason for uncertainty about the future, but it becomes terrifying and paralyzing. 
because of how that uncertainty might negatively affect us. And that's where anxiety comes in. We ask questions like, can I handle that? We'll see someone going through something and we'll, we'll look at their strength and we'll marvel at it and we'll say, if that was me, could I do that? Would that ruin me? If my child dealt with that, would I handle it the way they are or would that be the end of my faith? Would I, would I be done? Will I be safe? Will I be alone? We so desire for such possibilities to be behind us that we run away rather than lean into them. Scripture encourages us to follow wise leaders and if, and if this preacher here that is, that is speaking to us today is one of the wisest to ever walk the face of the earth, if he is thinking deeply about difficult things, we too are supposed to think deeply about difficult things. So what does the journey yield? We hear there's this journey. He's going to go find the meaning of life. He's going to not, he's not withholding any resources. He's going to go all in. What does the preacher find? And in verse 13 and 14 it says, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I think it's fair to say we were all probably hoping for a better outcome, right? The guy with all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the resources, he's going to tell us where is the meaningfulness, and he says, unhappy. We want him, we were probably hoping that he would apply his heart, take the time to think deeply about difficult things, to travel to explore and bring back something of deep meaning and substance to tell the people that he is leading, this, my people, is what you should busy yourselves with. And instead, he says, whatever you busy yourself with is an unhappy business. God intends for you to be perplexed. God intends for you to be perplexed. Completely baffled at times. Puzzled. Sometimes this happens when you sit to like take a look at your finances. And you're like, what has happened here? How did this happen? Maybe if you have teenage kids, you're familiar with what is happening here. I did not teach you that. Completely baffled. God intends for you to be perplexed. And I think we struggle with this. Even those of us who have a sense of adventure usually a planned adventure, right? We put some barriers around some of the unknowns. But we have situations that we're put in where we're supposed to be perplexed. You don't have the answer for the question. That's what he's saying about this journey. See, every philosopher who ever lived has thought deeply in the search for meaning, like what's the meaning of life? And we have all these different philosophers that have said different things and they've come out with different conclusions. One was Descartes. And he said, I think, therefore, I am. He put his head in an oven for a long time, and when he came out, he said, I think, therefore, I am. And it began what is now known as a largely inward, self-focused, like reality is found inside of whoever you want to be kind of a thing. He says, I think, therefore, I am. The preacher here, Kohelet, says, like his version of that is, I think, therefore, I am unhappy. Y'all see that? I... One is I think therefore I am, and he's like, I think therefore I'm unhappy. When I think, it makes me unhappy. That's his version. I think therefore I am 
unhappy. It's perplexity. It's things without resolve. It's questions without answers, and it can make us feel unhappy. Now, I want to take a minute to, to just acknowledge that I, I think there is some nuance here that we need to consider. What I mean is this. There's, there's perplexity, and there can be unhappiness, but just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that it is a certain way. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it is a certain way. Your, your, your emotions were never meant to define your reality, but your emotions can help you to understand how you're responding to reality, how you're responding to circumstances. Why did that make me unhappy or why did that make me sad? So when we can't immediately or even quickly find some substance and meaning in the complexities of our life, some of these hard circumstances that we go through, these hard seasons, we may choose to feel unhappy, and it may feel like such a profound unhappiness that you would say, I didn't choose that, it chose me. But there may be some deeper importance found in being perplexed. Why? Because God intends for you to be perplexed. Otherwise, you wouldn't be. I want to be careful here because I know that many of us sitting here this morning either have struggled, are struggling, or will struggle with things like depression. I've had my own struggles in that area. I'm an overthinker in ways you would not imagine. And it creates a lot of anxiety because you need to know all the things. In fact, the, the book of Ecclesiastes at a later point says that God created you to want to know the beginning from the end, and he created you so that you can't know the beginning from the end. So there's got to be something more going on there. But I don't want to minimize at all as we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes depression, dark thoughts, discouraging moments that feel like they're weighing you down in a way that might kill you. But I want us to see this morning that there's a difference between meaninglessness and hopelessness. There's a difference between meaninglessness and hopelessness. Perhaps our hope was never intended to be found in things that we can wrap our heads around. Perhaps, our, that perhaps there's a hope that's found even in complexity. So we want to know the reason for the preacher's conclusion of why is this an unhappy business that us humans have under the sun. And he answers that question in verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. God intends for you to learn your limitations to come to the end of yourself. That's what this verse is saying. It, let me say it this way. If you've ever purchased lumber at Lowe's or Home Depot, you know that what is crooked cannot be made straight. <laughs> right? You, you can't build high-end furniture with boards that are warped and cupped and twisted. It's not how that works. You can't build a home with a nice, straight, proper angle home with a bunch of boards that are, that are really messed up. And so what this is just simply saying is, what is crooked is, is crooked. It, you don't always get to say, and here's the happy solution. What is crooked is crooked. What, what God's saying here is that he intends for us to learn our limitations through crooked things and through unknown things. So let's look at the crooked things just for a moment. There are things that happen in this world that don't make sense. Just crooked things. Not crooked like a bad guy, just that's, that's not good. There's no way to make that a good thing. There's no way to 
spin the narrative and make it like, this was excellent, especially when people are suffering. Like sometimes when people are really suffering and, and, you, and you, you're like, hey, here's the bright side. They're like, I'm going to choke you if you keep talking like that. Because it seems like it's like minimizing what they're going through. And so these crooked things, I think, are, are real. They can't be made straight. There's really no silver lining. It doesn't mean that God can't do things, but it just means in, in the moment, this, this is a bad deal. These things are, com- are complex, and they cannot be simplified. I think one example that we can, we've all, many of us at least, have probably seen in the news is what's going on in Maui right now. Let's go ahead and put that picture up there. This is Maui. Beautiful. Like, like it kind of ranks up there on the list of sort of like the heaven on earth kind of settings or like the, you, you've reached the, you know, a place of like, like really beautiful water and beautiful, you know, sights. And if I were to zoom into this picture, what you would find, you'd see families and you would see families getting up and, and like making lunch and getting ready for the day. You'd see people who've made plans. They've invested their money. They've made plans for retirement. They've made plans for their homes. They've made plans for their children and maybe their school and things like that. They, they probably are part of, some of them are part of a church home. And their church home, I could zoom in and find that. And we could zoom in and find what schools their children go to. And we could, we could look and see like some parks and some other places where like real memories have been made by these families. And then on just a Tuesday morning, they're, they're making their lunches and getting ready for the day. And somewhere, maybe not right on top of them, but away from them, a fire starts. And it starts to burn. And then sort of a calamity of events happen. And there's a hurricane that's not right on Maui, but it's kind of off the coast. And it whips up the winds. And before you know it, this place that is beautiful and completely surrounded by water is horribly and ironically burning to the ground. Look at the next picture of the same spot. That's Maui now. Crooked things can't be made straight. You don't go to someone who just went through that and say, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. It's not helpful. These people got up and made lunch and planned their day just like they have every other day, and nothing that they did brought this, on, brought this kind of calamity upon them. It was, it, was, it was just something that they had to receive and respond to. There were people who had to go out into the waters to escape because there was no place that wasn't on fire, and they sat in water watching their world burn down. There are people who were in cars trying to get out, and one car got out, but the car behind them didn't, and they died in their cars. There, are, there is pain and heartache in this setting right here. Crooked things cannot be made straight. There are people who this is their community, and for years to come, they're going to deal with PTSD. They're going to deal with um, being dysregulated. They're going to deal with anxiety. They're going to deal with things that will trigger them with smoke and fire and, and calamity. They're gonna, they're gonna, their sense of like steadiness that they may have had is totally gone. Crooked things cannot be made straight. You, you don't put a quaint phrase on that to make it great. The preacher is saying, this is what I found in the world. There are, there are things like this all over. A family 
who loves their children, you wake up and you, and you find out they have some illness that's terrifying. A, a moment where you're fine and you hit the trap door and life changes and it's never gonna be the same. Crooked things cannot be made straight when you're looking for it with a wisdom that's under the sun. God intends for us to learn our limitations through crooked things. Next is the lacking things. What is lacking cannot be counted. That simply means that you don't know everything. So some of you may think you know everything. Some of you may think, no, I have an answer for every single question. I love to have answers to questions. Oh, that's a great feeling, but you don't have all the answers. And when it says what is lacking cannot be counted, it's like there's things if you don't see them, you can't even take them into account. Like if you're working on your budget and you have this whole area of money that was spent that you didn't know about, you can't use that metric to make a wise decision. And in the same way, you live right here in this area. We have about 23 cities that, are, that make up the membership of this church, not counting other people that are visiting. And that's just your little slice of the world. And if you think that all the wisdom that you need can come from that, what, what's going what's to help you is that you will come to the end of yourself if you're looking for it in that way. You don't know everything. There's things going on in cultures and communities all over the world that you can't wrap your head around right now because you don't know what's happening. There's conversations that are happening that you're not privy to. There's movement by people and movement by God that you don't know. And why does he tell us this? So that we might realize our limitations. You're not in control. That's what we're learning here. You're not in control. What you cannot see, you cannot observe. So you put all that together not only can you not observe all that there is to observe, but you also cannot make sense of the things you can observe because they're too complex and perplexing. So come to the end of yourself. The final two verses, the, the preacher says, or the final three verses, the preacher is sharing sort of what he said in his heart to himself before he went on the journey and then the, what the result was. And he says, I said in my heart I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. So he's saying, I said in my heart, no one has the wisdom that I have. And he said, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He knows what to do and how to do it. He knows what needs to be known and how to apply it to a situation. And he says, and, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly, to see every way that people think. What, are the ones who are mad happier? I want to know that. Is there substance over here in folly? Then I want to learn that. And he's saying, I'm taking it all into account. I'm not just looking for the people who seem upright. I want to know what has staying power. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Believers are not exempt from vexation and sorrow. Believers are not exempt from vexation and sorrow. It's kind of like frustration and sadness. So like, if you have frustration over something, and you're frustrated with a circumstance, a situation, whatever it might be, a person, and that frustration sits there for a while and it simmers, that frustration becomes vexation. It's like a language in your soul that can be heard by the Lord, according to Jeremiah Burroughs. And, and it settles in. And you're, you're not exempt from that experience. And then there's, there's sadness, but when sadness settles in, like 
if you've lost a loved one or you've had a circumstance change, you've, you've experienced like the death of a dream of sorts, that sadness becomes sorrow. You feel it in your soul. Believers are not exempt from this. This is why the prosperity gospel is such a heaping pile of insufferable garbage. I'm not saying that for shock value. I'm saying it because it's dangerous. A message that says bad things are happening because you lack faith is the kind of message that's eating your soul while claiming to save your life. It is dangerous and it is prevalent. If there's something to be learned in the sorrow and in the perplexity, then I think the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, would say shame on the man, woman, or movement that says you must not have enough faith then or this wouldn't be happening. Rest assured, it takes faith to think deeply about difficult things and it takes faith to be perplexed and be willing to just sit in it and it takes faith to swallow your pride and embrace your limitations and it takes faith to know that vexation and sorrow just might come from the loving hand of God even if you don't understand. One commentator, Bartholomew, says this, what does one do when precisely as a believer, everything one observes and experiences seems to lead to the conclusion that all is enigmatic and that the enigmas cannot be resolved? He says, what do you do when as in your faith, you are looking for the meaning and you find that everything's an enigma? An enigma is like, this is confusing and not only is it an enigma, but it's the enigma that doesn't have resolution. So the, the more you look at it, the less resolution you have and the more questions you come up with. He says, this is Kohelet's struggle. And it resonates with that of any believer in a crisis of faith. Just because something is hard doesn't mean you should pull the ripcord and remove that thing from your life. And just because something is hard doesn't mean you pull the ripcord and remove yourself from that thing Maybe that relationship, that marriage, that job. God's still sovereign over those things. And if you're perplexed, it's because you're not sovereign over those things. You maybe just haven't yet come to the end of yourself. One principle in our preaching is to preach verse by verse so that God can set the agenda for our church. Another principle is to always make sure to get to the point about Jesus. Amen. Anyone ready for that? Get to the point about Jesus. See, while Kohelet's quest for wisdom was limited to what he could see, ours is not, for there are things that we lay hold of by faith that are better than sight. So I hope for some of us, go ahead and take your supper out and open the bottom. And I want you to hold this in your hand while we're, while we're preparing to partake of it. Pastor Kai and I were talking this week about how I'm thankful that the Lord tells us to take the supper every single time we gather because sometimes you have a set of verses that don't seem to be full of hope. So here's what I want to ask. As, as you take your supper and you hold it, this is the time where a lot of times we start checking out, but don't check out. Just, just hang in there. You don't have to have all of the answers because God does. But your sin separates you from God. If you are living the kind of life where you don't want to be dependent on anybody else because you are completely, solely, wholly independent, and including, and that includes the Lord, 
you are living a fool's life. Sin separates us from God, and so it separates us from the one who does have the answers and who does have control and who, in whom there is profound meaning. If that is you, repent. Turn from sin and embrace Jesus. Receive Jesus as the, as the this is, we have this free gift of salvation. You can't earn it, but you can receive it as a free gift. And here's what happens. There is great freedom in Christ. Freedom that I think we sometimes don't think about enough. But what, what that brings us to this morning at the end of sort of having to sit with the perplexities and sit with thinking about the hard things is this. You can change. People can change. Situations and circumstances can change. But you can be transformed by the renewal of your minds even if your circumstances don't change. Beyond that, we, as we're preparing to take supper, we can cry out for wisdom and the Lord will give it to us. The book of James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. So not only can we ask for wisdom, but it will be given and we can ask with a sense of expectancy because of what we have in Jesus Christ. He has taken our sin away. His righteousness is counted as ours. And if we ask God for wisdom, he sees us as he sees his son. He says, yes, I'll give you wisdom. There can be change and there can be growth. Romans 8 says that because of Christ, nothing separates us from the love of God. So while we will still have to think deeply about difficult things, we do so in the loving arms of Christ. And while we will still be perplexed, we enter those situations in step with the Holy Spirit and bathed in the forgiveness of Christ and the provision of Christ. And as we reckon with the reality of our limitations and our weaknesses, and as we come to the end of ourselves, at the end of ourselves, we find a limitless Savior with whom and in whom all things are possible. And in moments of vexation and sorrow, our Lord sustains us through kindness and provision, often through other lovely people who will come into our lives and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and comfort others with the comfort with which they have been comforted. Your Savior loves you and your life is not hopeless even if it feels meaningless. He is good and when we come to the end of ourselves, what we find is he is not only giving us forgiveness and that gift of salvation, he is welcoming us into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. And that is better than silver lining. Take and eat. Take and drink. Lord, as we continue in worship, I pray that we would be humbled by the things we don't understand and humbled by a good God who's given us a Savior in whom there's forgiveness from our sins. You tell us we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly realms. As we continue to sing, as we continue to give, help us to do so in a right response. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.